welcome to Powering Through Life, a show dedicated to exploring topics of life that are challenging, that keep us stuck in doubt and mistrust, which can prevent us from living life to our fullest potential and having loving relationships. I'm your host, Teresa Sims, and together with my guests, we bring to life strategies, tools, and ideas that anyone can incorporate easily into their life to promote happiness, better relationships, and personal peace. Our foundation in Powering Through Life is to inspire, motivate, and ignite your dreams to life. Welcome again to Powering Through Life, and I'm here today with Tanya Vandervecht. And Tanya is an avid volunteer, mother, business owner, and a university student, all rolled into one. She has begun to share her stories of her lived experience to help others in her community to find hope and strength. Tanya, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very excited to have you here today. I love having discussions with you, and I think this is a fantastic topic of eating disorders and concurrent disorders. Oh, this sounds good to me. So let's get right into it. What exactly is a concurrent disorder? And what additional challenges does that pose to other individuals? I'm not sure what that means. So what is a concurrent disorder? So um, to put it in its most basic terms, a concurrent disorder is a co-occurring a co disorder. So if you have been diagnosed with a mental illness, for example, perhaps you've been diagnosed with a body dysmorphia, you've been diagnosed with a borderline personality or a bipolar disorder, and you're also experiencing issues with eating disorder or you're experiencing issues with addictions. That would be concurrent disorders or disorders that are happening simultaneously and affecting each other. Okay, so how does that what other additional challenges can pop up along the lines with that type of thing? So obviously, um, a lot of the time when you're dealing with concurrent disorders, one thing can instigate the other. So if you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed about yourself, that can make you want to use drugs. You know, it can make you want to look for things to numb out your pain or the feelings that you're experiencing and make you feel better about your situation. Um, for myself, that coping mechanism happened between um, mental illness and eating disorder and addictions at one point. So I had, you know, multiple concurrent disorders happening that were, you know, intertwined and affecting each other. It's much more difficult to solve um, the core issues or even one issue when you have multiple things going on that affect you in different ways. Um, when you're talking about addictions, for example, these things are chemicals that are affecting the way that your brain functions, the way that your body functions. So that's influencing your behaviors and your attitudes and your actions. So when you're also experiencing these other issues like having an eating disorder as the example, um, you know, you're battling those feelings and emotions that come with that and those thoughts that come into your head, those routines and structures that you put in place because of your disorder. And then also at the same time, you have this other um, issue that's happening that it's really hard to focus, for example, on, okay, I'm going to want to solve this way that I feel about my body when I'm also under the influence for example, of a narcotic 
right? Then it just makes it that much more difficult to sort out those issues. And for doctors to identify the issues um, and to get a proper diagnosis can be difficult when you have concurrent things happening. I would imagine it would be. And I would think that a lot of um, the concurrent disorders must mimic the original or the one main disorder. I hate to say it that way, but for the lack of a better way of phrasing it. Um, so if it is an eating disorder and you have um, substance abuse added onto that, or, you know, could be anything like if you have alcohol, you know, to replace the food that you're not eating and that sort of thing, it could really be a difficult way to pinpoint exactly what's happening and why, and which one do you treat first? Absolutely. Are you treating these symptoms? Are you treating this um, disorder that's happening that's affecting the treatment of this other one? You know, where do you start? It, it's very difficult for even the professionals to come in. It's really individualistic as well. So, you know, one person who, you know, has a diagnosis may behave very differently from someone with the same diagnosis. Right. So absolutely. And a lot of them, they not in, you know, it's a reality today. We don't always have the time or the medical industry doctors don't always have the time to dedicate to really diving in to find out what the core issues are. It's, yeah. it's not necessarily their fault, but it happens. Right. And a lot of people must fall through the cracks at times, I think. I feel like I could have a whole um, session talking about time and how that affects not only the people treating, but the people who are trying to work through the issues. You know, having the time to focus on yourself is one of the main problems that I see a lot of people struggling with is taking yeah. me time, actually relaxing and giving yourself some self-care. Very good point. And we should have that discussion because we all struggle with that as well. You know. Coming up, session on self-care. Absolutely. <laughs> Next time. So, Tanya, paint a picture of your experience with your eating disorder and having concurrent disorders masking, uh, the, that they mask the issues you were really facing. Explain that for us, please. Yeah, absolutely. So my eating disorder in itself can be considered a concurrent disorder because I am diagnosed with uh, borderline personality. And along comes along with that um, comes quite often a form of body dysmorphia, which can trigger eating disorder symptoms. Um, so going undiagnosed with that for quite some time, because I've only recently had that diagnosis in the last two years, um, that has given me a, a long time to be kind of active in those things. So Tanya, would you paint a picture for us of your experience with your um, disordered eating and how having concurrent disorders mask the issues you were really facing? So my eating disorder itself can be considered a, a concurrent disorder because I am actually diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder with which um, that in itself has um, body dysmorphia as a component. So that can lead it for many people uh, with this diagnosis to having symptoms of eating disorders. Now, um, that's not something that they diagnose young people with um, because of the types of traits that come with it. It's very hard to diagnose, especially in youth. So my eating disorder symptoms actually really started about between 12 and 14. Um, and likely uh, they are inherent from this uh, diagnosis that I did not have at the time. 
and um, those obviously triggered other things, as I mentioned, addictions and that down the road. But um, to just kind of focus on, you know, what my experience with my eating um, has looked like when I was very young, um, I'd actually kind of began as food was a bit of a, a band-aid. It was a bit of a solid for me where you know I was sad and I would was like okay I'm gonna eat this tub of ice cream and then you know this is gonna like drown my sorrows <laughs> problem with that being that when you start behaving that way obviously you're gonna be gaining weight right so um I've after gaining quite a, a bit of weight and experiencing a lot of bullying and obviously experiencing a lot of my own feelings towards my body changing. Um, I was going through that period of adolescence where you're, you know, kind of growing into you physically and mentally. So that was the real turning point right there where I decided that, okay, well, I can uh, not only use eating to try to soothe or mask some of these feelings that I have, but I can um, use it in a bit of a different way to do that and to solve this issue I'm having with my physical presence and what I'm looking like and what I'm seeing in the mirror. And, you know, although I thought that then, what I see in the mirror to this day is still uh, quite inaccurate and I've accepted that. And over the years that, um, proved to be very problematic, especially in my youth when I did lose quite a bit of weight um, throughout my teenage years, in part from um, not eating and in part from drug use. But um, I would also use drugs knowing that they would decrease my hunger, knowing that, you know, I, you'd see people who use them and they were quite thin. So I knew that using those things is going to help me maintain and lose that weight. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem with the eating disorder. Yeah. That's all it does, right? It's another bandaid thrown at it, but in your youth, you don't understand what's going on in your head and your, your, everything in your body is changing and you're not feeding it right. And then the, the, whatever it could be, you know, um, borderline personality disorder, could be depression, could be anxiety, could be all sorts of things that creep up and then it's just one thing after another after another it, yeah. it must have been very challenging it was challenging and you know part of it is social pressure to look a certain way as i mentioned the bullying um yeah. especially in the end of elementary into kind of middle school um time range yeah i was very overdeveloped i had large breasts and i hated them uh because it was something that made people focus on me more and the girls made fun of it because they were jealous of it the boys made fun of it because they're silly prepubescent boys and um you know but for me inside it made me feel terrible because I was like like I don't want this part of my body at all it's just it just brings an attention that I don't like um you know being overweight brought another more attention that I didn't like so you know I guess in my mind those things really developed into a you know I'm going to use eating to solve this problem for myself I don't like this what I see I don't like how people are treating me because of the way I'm looking and you know, as that went on, um, really in my 20s, especially, things got very heavy in my early 20s um, when I had completely stopped using drugs. Um, so I got rid of one of my concurrent disorders here, that one of these things that was happening that was altering my behaviors, and my eating disorder got much worse. 
um, not having that crutch made me like just a hundred percent hyper focus on the food um, to the point where like everything was structured, every bite was tracked. I was eating and throwing up consistent because you get to a point where you're just so hungry um, that you want to eat and you start to eat and then you don't want to stop eating and then afterwards you you feel guilt you feel guilt you feel shame um you know all of these things that you work through later in your cbt notebooks <laughs> but <laughs> but um you know all of those factors culminating and building up and building up and you know i at that point even took an, a job where i was working mostly night shift because i could quietly practice my eating disorder more when i didn't have some people paying attention to me um, you know, and I was, uh, it's been really up and down. It's been really up and down throughout my life. And after having my son a couple of years ago and having a few good years of feeling much better uh, with my eating, still having some other issues that I hadn't been diagnosed for and, but I was working through them. And then, yeah, once uh, I had my son and I gained that weight, it all really just re-triggered everything again. And that's when I decided, when I recognized what was happening this time, and that it was getting to a point that I knew was not good. That's when I finally decided that it was time to get help this time and stop ignoring it. Well, you know, I give you a lot of credit for noticing the signs and, and the, the, what was happening and for reaching out for help because a lot of people don't. And they need to. They really do need to, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, I under, I completely I have followed what you're saying because there was a few points I haven't experienced, but most of it has been along my line of my life as well. So I can really relate to what you're saying about the weight issues and, you know, I'm not the weight now where I want to be, but I have to do what I can and, you know, acceptance of who we are. You know, maybe I wasn't meant to be this little tiny, weeny, skinny person. Because heredity always plays a part in it too. And most of my family are not tiny, uh, skinny people. Absolutely. And that's something that I learned in treatment um, was that the idea that I had for what I thought I should look like was extremely mismatched when you looked at my heritage, um, you know, having a Polish and Scottish background. Um, my body is not meant to be this tiny, tiny little thing that I wanted it to be. It's just not what my structure is. It's not what my bone structure is built to look like. Absolutely. Well, hang on for just a moment, okay? So Tanya, what led you to seeking treatment and professional intervention for your eating disorders? And why is it so important that you share your story and your experience with other people? So I think um, obviously with, as I mentioned, the birth of my son being a you know, what ended up being a trigger for me to start going back into those eating disorder behaviors because it changed my body composition again. I gained a, I weight during my pregnancy and I wasn't happy with it. And, you know, that was something that I had to work through, but I wasn't working through it well on my own. And I, um, luckily, you know, I have someone who, like my husband, who is not scared to say <laughs> what he sees and what he um, thinks but is also extremely supportive. So having him there um, to help me through it and just seeing how blessed I am to have my family 
really made me recognize that it's not just me going through this anymore. It's all of them. And that's not fair to them. So essentially that's what led me to making sure that this time I didn't, uh, I didn't go down that road again and keep going down that road again. And I, and it was already very much, I was going down that road already. It was not good. So it's, so it's um, amazing. It was a rocky time. Yeah, I can imagine, um, you know, knowing a little bit about it, have experiencing a little bit of it. I, I kind of know what goes through the head, but, you know, sometimes it, we just need that one catalyst that's going to help us to snap out of it or to change it or to really recognize what's happening. And you did that and your children and your family are your, your change agents for you, I would think, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, knowing that, you know, I, I, um, just quick story, but I, uh, actually found out I was pregnant with my son when I was booked in to go get my tubes tied and had my blood work done. So I was not prepared for that change either. So this was a very, very big <laughs> change that was unexpected and, you know, handling change at the best of times can be difficult for us, but for someone who's you know, already been struggling with their mental health and, and had these issues happen and gone fairly untreated for a lot of it. It was, um, it was a change that, you know, I, I guess I just was not really prepared to take on um, mentally at that time. So I, I was able to recognize though, when things were starting to, you know, put me back into that dark place again, where, um, I didn't want to hurt them and I wanted to make sure that I'm giving my children a good life. Right. So, um, I went and I, uh, what do you, what do you call it? I, um, self, uh, admin administered myself into the program. So, um, I didn't oh. get a self referral. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I didn't get referred from the or anything. I just started picking up the phone and making phone calls and you know, what can I get involved in and found out that the local hospital actually, had an um, outpatient service that they were offering and, and I got involved in that. And um, they were very concerned when I first got there. Uh, my uh, weight was low enough that they, um, it was at the point where they would put you in an inpatient program. And they did urge me to enter into an inpatient program, but as someone who, you know, I don't have benefits and I don't have those things, I just didn't see it as an option. And I informed my worker that um, we were just locking down together and <laughs> going to have to figure this out in the way that we have to figure it out because things have to be sustainable at the same time, um, which of course posed a little more difficulty, I think. But I also knew that I was ready for this to end. And that was a, a big component of, of making this a successful program for myself is I wasn't in pre-contemplation. I wasn't in contemplation anymore. I'd been through that for years. I was ready to change. I was ready for this to be done and to get to a point where I could just figure out what, you know, what is causing all this and how do I change this? And that's the point where people... Um, almost need to be before their transformation of therapy or however you want to phrase it is successful. You can uh, have someone admitted to a program, but if they're not the ones like you did, you put yourself there because you knew it was time. But for someone that gets put in those places, 
maybe they don't want to be there and it's not the right time for them emotionally or whatever the reason may be, but it, it may not be as successful as you were because you knew this is what you had to do and why and what the outcomes were going to be. And I give you so much credit for that. So who are some people that we could call if we're finding ourselves in these situations? So are you, are you thinking locally? Um, yes, that could work or any ideas of, you know, a, a broad, broader spectrum, I guess. Yeah, so there's also, there's obviously the National Eating Disorder Center, which is a huge resource for people that you can go on their website and they can help link you to services that are in your area, no matter where you are. There is a huge network, um, you know, of different organizations and agencies that are offering help in this. Your local hospital is also a very good resource. And of course, your family doctor, if you have one, is a, is a great step place to start as well. Um, and I kind of overlooked that, I think when I began and, and she said to me, why didn't you, didn't you tell me, you know, I could have helped you. And I think sometimes we overlook the resources that we do have at our fingertips sometimes too. Um, most, there are, you know, a lot of other agencies that if they don't offer something, they will help. Um, you know, in the, lo where I'm located, we have, you know, the local CMHA who does not offer eating disorder specific, but they will help, you know, you get set up to resources that can help you as well. And, you know, of course, there is other organizations like the um, Canadian, uh, sorry, what is it, CMHC in the Mental Health Inn out of Toronto, I think is where they're based. And they're a good place that you can call that can, again, connect you with lots of different things in your area if you're not from Toronto area. And then there's, um, of course, different uh, private treatment centers like Homewood um, that you can go to and look up, you know, look up ones in your area through Google searches and that. There's a lot of different counselors um, that offer fee-based and non-fee-based types of treatment for eating disorders as well. Um, in our area, there's a few different individuals that are offering that now. There's one called Nourish Your True Self, um, and they have a dietitian and um, a social worker that works with the individuals that take part in their program. So you're not only getting that, you know, healing for what you need to work through for yourself to be able to battle this issue mentally, but also on the food side, you're actually really learning. And I think a big component of is helping yourself get out of an eating disorder is learning the realities of food you know, and not continuing to look at food as an evil and everything has calories and therefore it's bad. <laughs> um, you just need to start learning, you know, about your food and what things you actually need to be physically healthy and nourished. Right, right. And I've seen, uh, we've had lunch together many times and breakfast, and I've seen you eat extremely healthy and wise. And I've also noticed um, that you do a lot of baking and um, creating of foods in your own home. And uh, I, I am just amazed. And I think you are just such an inspiration. And I love your story. I think it is. Me and my son recently. Oh, sorry. It cut out. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say me and my son, especially my daughter will get involved, um, but not as much. She's not as big of a baker as the two of us. But at this point, you know, we've kind of turned food into something that we can all enjoy. So part of that is 
helping each other cook and helping each other bake and, you know, making it a family activity. And he just loves making, you know, pancakes and we make our own breads and we make our own bagels and all those sorts of things. So. Yeah. And ice cream too, I've seen. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Lots of ice cream. Yeah. So much ice cream. <laughs> there you go. But I know that uh, your stuff is very healthy. I've seen it and I've seen the ingredients that go into it. And, and you're also doing your children a massive favor too, by teaching them the right ways and, or the best ways and to steer them away from that mentality of eating disorder, because they've probably seen it in you. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, and see what's going on. And definitely. And eating comes in so many forms. Yeah. <laughs> we keep getting it. <laughs> we do. We're having an issue, but, and bear with us. We will sort this out, honestly. So Tanya, um, do you have a YouTube channel? I see you have it listed on your, would you like to speak about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, last fall, when I really started getting um, a lot more involved in some of the things happening in the community, one of the things that I got involved in was peer support through the CMHA locally. And um, it's been an amazing experience and I've gotten to do some great things. And two of those things that I have done, one of them is an eating disorder support group um, called Ascension. And the other is um, a class that I started called Words and Rhythm. And essentially, uh, poetry has always been something that I have used as a healing mechanism for myself, a form of expression that's really helped me through some dark times. And I wanted to be able to pass that on to other people and give that to them as a coping mechanism and learn how to do with poetry and how to you know experiment with different structures and how to you know put that you know those feelings and those emotions out into the world in a rhythmic and expressive way so the YouTube channel is an extension of that and at this time it's um, only includes a little bit of my work and my daughter's work and we're getting it off the ground but we're hoping that we will once um, COVID-19 has hopefully gotten better and we can get back out into the community more um, and work with people again that I can engage more of the individuals that have taken part in that program or that will in the future and that want to get their voice and their story out there to the world to be able to um, post some of their work on the channel as well. Fabulous. And that is Words and Rhythm, right? The YouTube channel? All one word. All one word. That's awesome. And when we post your segment, we'll have the link put up on there for, for everyone to take a look at. And I really suggest you do because I've read some of Tanya's poetry and it is beautiful. It's raw. It's amazing. And it really speaks the truth. It's fantastic. Tanya, are there some three points or words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our listeners today? There are so many things that I could say, but, um, you know, one of my favorite um, quotes, which I actually um, have tattooed on myself, <laughs> is that it, if you've ever seen Alice in Wonderland, they, uh, one of the quotes, one of the famous quotes that she says is that every, essentially every day I wake up and I think of as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And I kind of um, try to every day think about what are, you know, six things, what are a few things that I can, you know, embrace today or embrace in my life that I'm not. Um, and what are some of those things that I have seen as impossible at one point seeing um, 
the end and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of my issues with my eating disorder was something I would have said was impossible. You know, so thinking about those things that right now might seem impossible and figuring out how to make them a reality. That's fantastic. That is really exceptional. And I love that quote, by the way, because you just don't know. And don't make it the same things you think of every day. It has to be something new and exciting that challenges you, right? So yeah, fantastic. So Tanya, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today with us and for sharing your story. I think it is going to change a lot of lives. And um, I know we will be together again. We are going to do this again with a different topic. And time is one of them, but absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. self care, <laughs> self care. Oh, geez, that's a big one. Okay, thank you for being such a fabulous guest on Powering Through Life. And everyone, I really suggest you get in touch with Tanya. And uh, is there a way you want us to contact you, or would you prefer that they contact you through me? Yeah, so either way, um, they can contact through you, they can go to the YouTube channel, and on the YouTube channel, there is um, information for my email address, which is words in for them, um, sorry, wircanada at gmail.com. Um, so sending emails to there is um, a good way to get in touch with me as well. I do monitor that email all the time, so. Fantastic. Thank you, Tanya. I really suggest you get in touch with this lady. She is just such an exceptional person, an inspiration and motivating in our community here. And I want to take you to a bigger audience and get you out in the world. And because there are so many people that need to hear this, really. Just, uh, I think that, you know, one final kind of point to make um, with eating disorders specifically is that seeing as it is the type of issue that is very easy for a lot of us to hide. Um, I just want to encourage people to, you know, not be scared to uh, reach out and look for help and resources because it's, you know, it is a very kind of secret and personal um, problem that a lot of us are dealing with. So get yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would like to add to that too. If the first two or three people you contact don't fit right for you and don't feel like it's going to be a good fit for you to work with, keep searching because just because they're there doesn't mean they're the right person for you. Exactly. So, yeah. Thank you. And we'll see you again next time on Powering Through Life. That brings to a close another inspiring segment on Powering Through Life. Thank you to my incredible guests for sharing their wisdom, knowledge, and experience. Join me again next time for more real stories designed to motivate and inspire. Listeners, you can get in touch with me on Facebook and LinkedIn, as well as Twitter. You may also reach me at my website, which is www.teresasims.com. Keep in touch and let's keep the conversation going.